This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Well, 2023 was fun while it lasted, Labs, but it looks like the season is over for the Steelers, or at least that's the sentiment I'm getting from a lot of Steelers fans online. Oh, there's no way they can dig themselves out of this. They looked so bad. Why? Why? After just one week are all of our hopes down the drain? It was a bad game, Labs, but come on. There's 16 more of these to go. One week? How about halftime? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was I was getting things at, by halftime. Start um, shuffling your papers, yeah, put them in your backpack, ready to leave. Right. There's there's no there's no such time like the present. You know why wait? Um, yeah. I mean, but let me say this. Uh, you know, there's one thing about while I maybe didn't jump over the ledge of the bridge into the uh, <laughs> I almost said into the ocean into the river. Um, I was walking up towards that railing yeah. <laughs> um, during that game. I mean, it was bad. And I didn't expect it. I, I that was I, I had no. I was shocked. Um, you know, and, and, and as we know, uh, I'm a living live in my fears kind of guy. But I never anticipated that. I mean, it it, it I didn't know. I wasn't ready to say there's no way the Steelers lose this game before it kicked off. Um, but I also didn't think it was going to be thirty to seven. And in a, in, a, in a performance that was bad in every respect you could imagine, um, anything you want to choose. I mean, what it reminded me of was um, Chuck Knoll once said, when you lose, whatever they say about you is true. Mm. You know, in other words, if they want to say you stink or, you know, you, you're playing the wrong, whatever. So there, there is legitimacy created by that kind of performance in every criticism. Um, but, you know, the, the, as I said, all, all I would say to fans is I feel, uh, the, and I, I shared the uh, feeling of walking up to the railing <laughs> of the bridge to dive into the Ohio River, but um, I, I, I stopped a little short, and I would just say, um, you know, as Dick LeBeau also once said, I've seen sicker dogs than this get well and be okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're gonna see what we're gonna see what they're made of here. Uh, maybe as soon as Monday night, when uh, George Pickens caught what seemed at the moment to be the Steelers' first first down. Of course, it got reviewed, and they ended up getting the first down on a play later. And you heard the Bronx cheer from the Steelers' faithful. Oh, the end of the second quarter, finally get the first down. That's when you knew things were not going that great. Yeah, you can't. Well, against a team like the 49ers, I mean, there has to be ebb and flow in the game. I mean, and there was too much ebbing and not enough flowing. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't go, you know, 0 for 5 on your first five third downs. I mean, they're, they're too good for that. They're just too good for that. And um, it, it, it ends up, it ends up becoming what we saw uh, and dreaded. Well, let's get to this week's batch of questions. And the first one comes from Lorenzo Queso from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I've never seen Akershore Stadium with so many wearing the visitors' colors as I did for the game against the 49ers. I believe it effectively weakened the home field advantage. What happened? And can such a thing be prevented? Um, Well, what happened was that the people who owned the seats in in the lower two levels of the stadium 
put their tickets up for sale and they were purchased by 49ers fans. Now I'm not sure whether all of the people, the, the people wearing red actually made the trip from California. One of the things, you know, we were talking about a little bit in the press box was, you know, Youngstown, Ohio is close and that's where, you know, the DeBarlo family, uh, kind of had their headquarters and the DeBarlo's owned that team and Jed York, ah. The current owner of the team is married to um, um, the, the Barlow's daughter, the you know uh, Eddie Senior, his daughter, Eddie Junior's sister. So you know, I thought maybe you know there would be some of that maybe left over because of the you know the Forty ers won a lot of um, trophies under the Barlow ownership group. So you know, I don't I don't really know, but yes. Uh, to answer Lorenzo's question, there were a lot of red jerseys uh, in in the Acrisure Stadium on Sunday, and you know the only thing that is that you can prevent it to do to prevent it is if it doesn't happen. Yeah, um, because you can't restrict who buys the tickets once they're put up for sale. I mean, on on the secondary market um, or you know ticket exchange or whatever whatever the the owners of the the original owners of those tickets used <clears throat> to sell the tickets, um, you know, you 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 can't say no nobody who's a 49ers fan. Are you a 49ers fan? You can't buy those tickets. <laughs> so um, uh, once they're put up for sale, uh, it's it's on the open market, and there's really nothing the Steelers can do to prevent the resale of tickets either. It's on the fans who have those tickets to not sell them and to go to the game. That's how you fix it. Mike Federico from Collierville, Collierville, Tennessee asks, after Sunday's drubbing by a very good 49ers team, what facet was most alarming to you? All credit due to San Francisco for being a very good team, but the Steelers were outdone in every facet of the game. Wave your magic wand and tell us the most glaring failure that you would fix first. I didn't know you had a magic wand, Labs. <laughs> Don't tell the me these things. Ball. The and the eight, you know, I tried the magic eight ball at halftime. You know, <laughs> how do you fix this? And it said, You're on your own, pal. Um, you know, the most disappointing aspect of the game to me was as Mike wrote, quote, the Steelers were outdone in every facet of the game. Uh, there's nothing you can point to. I mean, I, you know, there's no silver lining here. I mean, I understand TJ Watt, um, put forth a very, um, uh, solid effort. effort. I mean, he was outstanding. Yeah, okay, that that's a good word. Um, and you know, he, um, you know, made some history by tying James Harrison for first place on the franchise all-time sack list. I mean, but you know, I I don't consider that a silver lining. You know what I mean in yeah. terms of what happened on the field. So um, you know, there is no magic wand, uh, and there's no way to fix what went wrong during the entirety of that game besides hard work. I mean, there, there, there's no, there's no secret to this. Um, you know, it has to be done in sweat equity. And, um, again, as I said, they got, they got a big game coming up Monday night and, uh, Oh, and two, I don't even want to think about that. Ken Waldrop from, Ontonagon, Michigan. Wow, Labs really made me stretch for that one there. Can you please explain the love affair that the Steelers have with a very, very inconsistent punter at best? 
He looks like a linebacker and punts like one, too. That's not an insult. It's just what it is. Okay, as as we've already established here in, uh, in this podcast, the Steelers play poorly in every facet of, of their opener. And the 49ers are an NFC power, uh, a le- very legitimate Super Bowl contender. I mean, that's not just something that, right. um, you know, it's a marketing phrase. I mean, they legitimately are very good, okay? Uh, but the punter, really? I mean, uh, I get he wasn't good. Presley Harvin third did not have a good game punting. Um, but uh, to complain about things is one thing. But, I mean, to, to go to the punter, um, I, I think that's a reach. So, um, yeah, um, as I said, there's other things that were far more significant contributors to that loss than the punting. A very easy way to fix the uh, poor punting, scoring enough points so you make don't have first, to punt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. or make, convert some third downs. How about that? You yeah. know, <laughs> That's an easy way to avoid uh, poor punting uh, on your team. John Wyshynski from Clemens, North Carolina. I don't think that I have ever watched a season opener at home that was so disastrous. Since the start of the Chuck Noll era, has opening day at home ever been so bad? <laughs> um, you know, this this is another one of those ever questions that I feel it's necessary to remind fans that, you know, the Steelers' 90th season was last year, okay? So, and they didn't win anything until 1972. So um, there was a lot of losing uh, in in Steelers history, uh, a lot of bad games. uh, And, you know, it didn't didn't just stop. Well, a lot of good things happened once, you know, Chuck Noll was hired in 1969. But, I mean, you know, the, the Steelers have had only three coaches since 1969. And you can point to uh, a disastrous opener uh, for each of them, you know, two of them are in the Hall of Fame, you know, and Mike Tomlin, I believe, is, right. you know, charting a course to be inducted as well. So, um, but anyway, so I'll give you one of each. Okay. Chuck Knoll, 1989, Three River Stadium, the Steelers lost to the Browns 51 to nothing. Ooh. 51 to nothing. That remains the most lopsided loss in franchise history. That makes yesterday's game or Sunday's game look close. <laughs> I was there. Okay, 1997, Bill Cowher, another Hall of Fame coach. Steelers opened their seat. It was still Three River Stadium at the time. Opened the season at Three River Stadium against the Dallas Cowboys. Lost 37 and nothing. The teams that they're playing in these blowouts, too, they sting extra. Right. So, uh, you know, it happens. Uh, both of those teams went on to make the playoffs, the 89 Steelers and the 97 Steelers. Uh, both of those coaches are in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, what can I tell you? You know, stuff happens. Um, it's painful, um, but it does. I hate to be this guy, Labs, but it sounds to me like the common denominator in all three of those losses were your attendance in the building. Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that had hey. anything to do with it, but... <laughs> Well, I'll take, I'll take, I'll start taking off openers from now on, and I'll, and that's what I'll say when the boss says, "Where were you?" I'll say, "Well, Tom told me that I'm the, I'm the jinx." I'm helping the team win. That's where I'm, I'm at. I'm helping the team. Okay. James Wilding from Carnegie, Pennsylvania. Do you think the Steelers have seen the last of Benny Snell? Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to assume that this question means 
are, are the Steelers going to be bringing him back? Um, and, you know, as of right now, and things, things often change. See, okay, let me just explain this real quick. Benny Snell is a vested veteran, okay? Okay. So if, if a vested veteran is on the roster for the first game of the season, he is guaranteed his salary if you cut him, if he chooses to claim it, okay? So that's why you often see a lot of guys like Benny Snell uh, kind of be out there in the open market until after the first game is over. Because after the first game is over, teams can look around to see um, maybe there were injuries or maybe they were counting on someone either as, in Benny Snell's case, either as a running back or a special teams guy that didn't really produce the way they wanted them to. And so a lot of times there's more action for those kinds of players after the first game. Now, um, you know, that could have happened. We're doing this on Tuesday, September 12th. You know, Benny Snell maybe gets some uh, interest here in the next couple of days. Um, but in terms of the Steelers, um, I really think that they already have the, their three running backs on the 53-man roster that they're going to keep, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, Anthony McFarlane. They have three more on the practice squad, um, Greg Bell, Xander Horvath, and Kadri Olison. And so I don't really see a spot for him. Uh, on this team or this practice squad unless there would be injuries at the position. Dean Florio from Marrero, Los Angeles asks, I saw that Zach Gentry was added to the Bengals practice squad. Why couldn't he be signed to the Steelers practice squad at least? Um, there would there are no rules that would have prohibited Zach Gentry from being signed to the Steelers practice squad. But I mean, um, you know, this he and Zach Gentry also another vested veteran. So um, he was not on waivers, so to speak. When he was released, he was free to sign with any team that wanted him on the 53-man roster. Okay, that did not happen, and so then he was added to the Bengals practice squad. Uh, my sense of it is that if the Steelers had wanted him on their practice squad, that would have, that would have happened. Um, why they didn't, I don't know specifically, but I do believe that the fact that Zach Gentry is no longer affiliated with the Steelers was a team decision, not his personal decision. Robert Gates from Churiquita Grande, Panama. I understand a team is limited to eight players on the injured reserve list in a season, and an individual player can be on the injured reserve list twice. Can a team put a practice squad player on IR, or is that designation only for the 53? Okay. Uh, I think Robert here is confusing some various facts about IR um, and, and misstating him, them in his submission. So I'm going to try and clear this up. There's no limit on how many players a team can put on IR. Okay, so that's, that's not true. The eight players on injured reserve list in a season is not true. The eight limit is for the number of players who can be designated to return. So you can have 20 people on your IR, but you can only designate eight over the course of the season to come back. Okay? So 
that's that's where the eight the number eight comes in. Uh, a team is certainly permitted to put a practice squad player on injured reserve. I mean that, and that's a separate list called practice squad IR. Um, because if you do that, if you put a practice squad player on IR, then he doesn't count on your limit of sixteen practice squad players, and so then you can add another one to the practice squad. So you have sixteen. That's that's the num that's the highest number that you're allowed to have. Um, but just as another little piece of information, if you're on practice squad IR, you, you, you're continuing to get paid, and that counts on the cap. So you better have the cap space uh, to do all of this stuff. Ronnie Cap from Yankton, San Diego asks, how many tackling practices are allowed during the season? Is there any specialized times they have to be used, or is it all up to the team's discretion? Okay, uh, an NFL regular season now is 18 weeks. 17 games plus the bye week, they all count as a week. A team is permitted to have up to 16 padded practices over the course of the 18-week NFL regular season. So that's not even one a week. Uh, there is no limit, or there is no, I won't say limit, there is no um, rule about when they have to be during the regular season. Uh, so, you know, you can, a lot of times coaches like to save them, um, you know, to either make a point with the team after uh, a particularly sure. annoying performance or trend that the coach might kind of get a sense of that's happening and he wants to, you know, shake things up. But even during a pad, padded practice during the regular season, there's no tackling. I mean, it's not. It's not going to be like it was at St. Vincent where, you know, you have live tackling every day and, you know, that kind of stuff. No, they, they put pads on maybe and, you know, bang around a little bit, but there's no going to the ground or any of that stuff. Yeah, and it's up to 16 padded practices. There's nothing that says that a team doesn't have to put the pads on again once training camp ends during the regular season. Right. James Parker. And they don't have to use – and they don't have to have 16 either. Right, That's exactly. not a rule. Yes. James Parker from Springville, Alabama, has our last question of the day, and he wants to know, although you have never been one to cry over spilled milk here on Asked and Answered, is there any trade slash not resigned move the Steelers have made that upset you? Um, I- I'm going to change the submission a little bit from upset me to disappointed me. And that's how I would describe Rod Woodson not finishing his career with the Steelers. That's a good one. Um, you know, Len Dawson and Johnny Unitas were both drafted by the Steelers, uh, in the fifties, um, both became hall of fame quarterbacks, Super Bowl winning hall of fame quarterbacks. Okay. And, you know, letting that get away is never a good thing, but, um, you know, in, in Dawson's case, he was, uh, traded to the Browns after um, the Steelers acquired uh, Bobby Lane. Um, and and he never, Dawson never really did anything for the Steelers. I mean, it's not like you knew what you were losing when, he, when you traded him. Unitas never even got a chance, and so you had no idea um, what you were cutting when he was cut after being a ninth-round pick in 1955. So, you know, those two, that, again, losing... Uh, or letting 
quarterbacks go who win Super Bowls and win uh, or and end up being inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame are painful. But Woodson was already a great player when he at, with the Steelers before he left as an unrestricted free agent. I mean, in 1993, he was voted NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He had eight interceptions, 28 passes defensed, a couple of sacks, a couple of forced fumbles that year. And then um, also in 1994, that was the 75th anniversary uh, of the NFL. And the NFL picked a 75th anniversary all-time team. And, you know, there was a very elite group. You're talking about they, they encompassed the first 75 years of the NFL. Okay, so there's a lot of players, a lot of great players, a lot of Hall of Fame players. This was a very elite group that the NFL picked and then um, honored. And there were only um, five active players selected for that team. Woodson was one of them. The other four were Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Reggie White, and Ronnie Lott. Those are decent. Okay, players. so this, yes, and <laughs> you know that guy who's who's now um, the coach of Colorado, he didn't make it. Just to put that in perspective, too. Um, you know, I'm not ripping Dion well, as much a as I'm making guy anyway. You know, I mean, he wasn't. He never really but, cut it in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I'm not ripping Dion. I'm just trying to make the point right, of how, right, how great good Woodson was. Yeah. Wo- yes. So, um, yeah, the fact that Woodson didn't end his career in Pittsburgh to me was the most disappointing, not re-signed move um, that I've ever been directly associated with. Well, that's all we got for you today on Ask and Answer. Thanks, as always, for giving us a listen. You can submit your questions to Labs now, and hopefully you'll hear them on a future episode. Steelers must get in the win column on Monday night. The Browns come to Shore Stadium. Don't want to fall to 0-2 to start the season. So it's a big one on Monday Night Football. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opperman. We'll be back again next week with Ask and Answered.